This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. series called Jesus is the I am's of Jesus and this week it's I am the resurrection and the life. Um, we, don't talk, we don't like to talk about death do we? Uh, we really don't. Uh, we want to talk about you know you'd like to talk about how to cope with the stresses of Christmas shopping wouldn't you or, or, or something like that you know or how to how to prioritize uh, you know um, family life and work uh, and all that and, and, and one sense you know that They'd be important things. I'm not that kind of guy, really, to do that kind of talk for you. But, but we're going to talk about death today. And we tend to feel that we don't talk about it because it's, it's hidden away. Uh, and we've developed a system where, 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 where death is nicely removed from us. Uh, and so if, if, you're, if you're in your 20s and you live in the West, you even have to go through this kind of extreme sports thing uh, to make you feel like you're mortal. Um, so I, I, has anybody ever bungee jumped? But there's a sense where if you, if, if you bungee jump, I, I think there's obviously a great adrenaline rush. I wouldn't trust the equipment or whatever. But you're obviously deciding, I, I feel immortal. I need to, I need to have a near-death experience. <laughs> I, 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 you know, the, I don't know why you do it. You know, has anybody jumped out of a plane with a parachute? You know, we've got this idea about, about life because it's so safe and so comfortable that we don't really want to face it. We don't really talk about it. And, and so when it does come, we, we, we really don't know what to do. We, we've not really thought our thoughts through. Uh, and so, you know, as we work through these I Ams of Jesus, that, that we're going to talk about it this morning and I help you to think about it. Particularly if you're in your 20s, you think it might live forever. It's not irrelevant. But as you get to my age you start to think, hmm, things are starting to wear out. I've had a new hip, and I've got a metal hip in here. You know, I'm starting to wear out, and um, it matters. If you lived in classical times, first century Palestine, or you lived in, in, in medieval times, life was short. You know, there wasn't antibiotics. I'm worried about that, by the way. Is anyone else worried about that kind of the post-antibiotic things? But, you know, they lived in a time where you, you cut your finger, you die. You know, you died of some kind of gangrenous thing. Life was uh, short and life was cheap. And so therefore the reality of death and therefore the fear of death was really front and centre. If, uh, if you looked at, this is called the, the triumph of death. It's a medieval painting, just to put it on to, to give you the heebie-jeebies. That uh, basically, you know, if you lived in medieval times, you were worried about death. You were concerned about death because death was all around you. This was uh, done just after the, uh, the bubonic plague, the Black Death. Death was all around. And people ha- were concerned about death. I think if I'd asked you, I was going to do it actually, but I thought better of it. If I asked you what your greatest fears, I suspect spiders would come up higher than death in this congregation. 
It really would, because we don't feel the sense of what about death. And so I want us to just look death in the face. So in this passage in John 11, it's a long reading, but in John 11, we're going to, Jesus looks death in the face, and we're going to see what he says and hopefully build some faith for us. So let's read and then we'll pray. So it's in John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus is now ill, was the same one who would pour perfume on Jesus' feet. Uh, so that's kind of in the future, but John just telling you which Mary it is because there's so many Marys around. So the sisters sent word, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. Strange. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 17. On arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Interestingly, death wasn't kind of sanitized away. The whole community came and helped to mourn with them. Now, uh, uh, the many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not die, would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you asked. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who's coming to the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered yet entered the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and said, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of those said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there'll be a bad odour, for he's been dead for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. And I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out and his hands and fears were wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. 
But some of those went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up and said, You know nothing at all, he said. Do you not realize it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? Lord, we thank you for this story recorded uh, by John. Lord, I pray you'd help us to not just examine it as some distant story, but to enter into the emotions. Help us to enter into the, the crushing tragedy, the the smell of death, the, the fear. But Lord, I pray that we'd see you afresh. We'd see you as the resurrection of the life, deeply afresh this morning. Amen. So John's Gospel provides a context. Jesus' friend Lazarus has become extremely sick and his life hangs in the balance. Uh, and Martha and Mary, uh, Lazarus' sisters, send for Jesus. But surprisingly, he doesn't come. He doesn't come. So before he's arrived, uh, uh, Lazarus has died. Martha comes up to Jesus and said this, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I don't know if you've ever faced death in your uh, family life. I don't know if you've ever faced uh, sickness that, that felt like we've prayed about this and we've tried to believe you and or we've had some, you've had some tragic circumstance in your life and you've, said to, you've prayed to God and it felt like he didn't come. It felt like he was even slow in coming. It felt like, well, he didn't, he didn't give an answer and say, well, trust me, it's going to be fine straight away. There's just no answer. He's slow to come. And, and it's, it's easy in those moments to think, God, where are you? Where are you? If you'd been here my brother wouldn't have died. God, where are you? We face this stuff. I've walked through this stuff. This stuff's happening. My family member has got a heart attack or there's a cancer or, or there's, a, there's, there's some crippling disease or something has happened and you never showed. And we never admit that that's how we feel, but maybe we feel that inside and particularly as Christians, we often feel particularly, well, I'm a Christian so that shouldn't happen to me. You know, I trust in Jesus, so that stuff shouldn't happen to me. I should have his ear. His sheep, we said last week, you know, my, his sheep hear my voice. And, and there should be a sense where we say in this personal relationship, Jesus, come. And he doesn't come and we feel crushed by it. Martha says to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, it's a statement of faith, but it's also a statement of despair. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's brilliant. Jesus is saying that death will come, but you'll live. And even if you, if you, if you trust in Jesus, you'll live forever. Do you believe it? And we can say in theory we do, 
But when push comes to shove, when suffering or sickness or death comes, that's when the question is. So Martha's right in the middle. This is not a hypothetical theological question. Do you believe that Jesus is a good guy and is going to take you to heaven? This is right in the middle of the moment. And Jesus is pushing against the flow of despair and doubt in Martha's heart. And he's overwhelming it with hope and faith. He's saying, There's not, that's not the final word. Your despair, your doubt is not the final word. He's saying, I am still God. When he says, I am, he's saying, I'm God. I am still God. The flame of my life is inextinguishable. It burns brightly even through death. That's a light that shines so strong that the darkness can never put it out. Do you believe it? He's asking, do you believe it? And I think it's important that we know the answer to that question before we face that moment. Before death comes to take us or take our family members or those close to us, you need to have had the answer settled. Do you believe it? Do you believe that even though you die, you live? We had a, Naomi's mum died this summer. And I still feel we're still feeling the emotional repercussions of it, and we will do. But the thing about Mo was, there was never a sense where she felt, God, you've let me down. We prayed about her cancer. Lots of people prayed about her cancer. And she didn't get healed. And the valid question would be, well, God, where were you? And perhaps we were saying that, but she was never saying that. There was never a moment in her where she said, God has let me down. There was never a moment where she, uh, she, she drifted into self-pity. She was sad that, that relationships were going to be separated. That we weren't going to see each other, but there was no sense of fear, no sense of self-pity, no sense that she didn't believe that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. And in the funeral, there was a sense there that, that people had picked that up, that actually there's more. And it's so important that you and I understand to a world that doesn't ask the question, that doesn't even face the question, I believe it. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes in me, even though they die, they live. So important we understand that question. Our, our society is, is scared, as I said, to, to, to look at death. I, I find that, that we, we don't even use the term now. In the media, we use the term uh, uh, passed on or, or passed away or is no longer with us. We don't like to use the word death. There's something horribly final about the word death. We don't like to do it. And, and, I, and I think people, I don't know if you talk to your friends or, or work calls, or maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, maybe you have those thoughts and think, what, 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 what about the dead? What, who, about the person who's dead? What's it like? So we talk really vaguely about, oh, they're looking down on us. You know, oh, they're looking down on us. As, and, but yet, but in, the, in the funeral or in the, in, the, in the expression, there's no sense of any understanding of afterlife, but, the, but yet in that moment, they've never said anything spiritual, but yet in that moment, they'll comfort themselves. He's looking down on us. Or they'll say, she lives on in our memories. Because we're wanting to cling on to that there's something more. But yet our society, and we can often so easily live as if there is no other life. If this, this is the end of the story. 
But yet, we need to face the reality. We need to understand that actually, if you die believing in Jesus, that your life is hidden in Jesus, that your eternity in Christ, is, uh, as one who's died, is better than the reality of here. It's more rich, it's more vibrant, it's more real than this. We've tended to have a, a view of this life as the real earthy life. It's Greek thinking that. And, and the other life, the afterlife, is vague and clouds and whatever. No, the fact is that this is the breath. This life is the vapour that's here today and gone tomorrow. And that is the real life. That's the eternity that lasts forever. Second person comes and says the same thing. Mary comes and says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's verbatim, same as Martha. But yet the response is different. Jesus' response is different. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping deeply, moved. he was deeply moved and bellowed with anger. Jesus wept. Those watching says, see how he loved him. They're saying the same thing, but there's something different behind Mary's uh, response. Mary's flow is not of despair and doubt, but it's of sadness and grief. And Jesus doesn't give her a theological lesson at this point. He enters into her grief. He enters into that moment. It's not like God just stands at a distance and says, well, this is the truth. Just live with that and that'll be fine. No, God has entered the world. Jesus has entered the world and come alongside and he grieves with Mary. He doesn't stand at a distance. God weeps. God weeps. It's not that he cannot, he's cold and compassionless and can't feel our sadness. No, he weeps. He comes really close and understands. But Jesus is not entering into hopeless grief. But he does weep with us. Paul writes in uh, 1 Thessalonians verse 4, it was a, a verse that Zach, my eldest, uh, prayed when we were praying for Naomi's mum before she died, praying with her. Brothers and sisters, Zach read, Paul wrote, we do not want to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep with him. We do not grieve as those without hope. You, are, you can grieve. When death comes, and it's as common as childbirth. You know, we think childbirth is really common, don't we? I mean, particularly in the demographic in this church. And death isn't. But they're just as common as each other. When death comes, we can grieve. But we don't grieve as those without hope. Jesus grieves with, with Mary, but he doesn't grieve without hope. He's not grieving and saying, oh, isn't it terrible, they're there. He's actually grieving with her, but also there's another emotion going on. There's another emotion going on. Jesus is angry. He is really angry. What is he angry about? I don't think he's angry about Martha or Mary. I don't think he's angry about the Jews. I don't think he's angry with God, his Father, He's angry about death. He's angry in the face of death. Because we've been told that death is this uh, inevitable component of life. And that's just the way the world is. 
It's part of the ever-turning cycle of nature. You know what uh, American president says, there's one thing inevitable, uh, death and taxes. And actually the Paradise Papers say, maybe taxes aren't inevitable. <laughs> death, we've been told, is inevitable. But Jesus doesn't settle for the inevitability of death. He's angry at death. He's angry at death, and I've talked about this before to some of you, that, that is if you discovered somebody breaking into your house. If you uh, uh, arrived home and somebody was breaking into your house, and I know in Cheltenham we think there's no crime. You know, you lived in, in, in Salford, inner city, Manchester. Everybody knew that people broke into your house. It was, but in Cheltenham you think, hmm, crime doesn't happen. We did have somebody in the congregation whose uh, house was broken into. But, but imagine you, break, you come home and you find them rifling through your stuff. You find them taking those pictures, that jewellery, that stuff that's so precious to you. You would be furious. You might grieve afterwards, but at the time you'd be furious. You wouldn't be just resigned to it. You'd say, how dare you? Get out of here. Get out. And I believe that that's what Jesus is doing when he sees death come stealing away his best friend. He says to death, how dare you? Get out. You've got no rights in here. Get out. Welsh poet Dylan Thomas wasn't a Christian, but perhaps understood something of this. In one of his poems, he said, Do not go gentle into that long good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. For Dylan Thomas, his rage is, Death's going to come and take me and I've got no hope. But Jesus does rage against the dying of the light, not in fear of death, but he's saying to this unwelcome stranger called death, you have no rights here, go. He looks squarely at our greatest nightmare, the loss of love and life, and he's incensed. Because humanity was never meant to grow old. It was never meant to suffer disease or die. Death is a dark intruder into God's good world, but the tragedy is we have unlocked the door and invited it in. It was never part of God's design. It was never part of the plan. It's this dark intruder that comes to rob and steal the things most precious to us, and we've invited it in. Right at the beginning of the story, Adam and Eve, the first humans, turned away from the life of love of God and invited death in. I've done this often, this illustration, but if Jesus is saying, I am life, to step away from Jesus is to commit suicide, is to commit, to to, to let death come. And Adam and Eve, in that first moment when they grasped the fruit and said, I'll do life on my own without God, stepped away. And death came. Paul says, death entered the world through the sin of the one man, Adam. We invited death in. But Jesus has come to drive it out. He's come to drive out sin and suffering and death. To drive it out of God's good world forever. To bring resurrection and life to those who believe in him. To make the world new. This is incredibly different than just thinking, oh, well, we've got some comfort blanket to help us when death comes. No, we've got this hope 
that Jesus is going to drive out sin and suffering and death out of this good world. We often think we're going to beam up to heaven and the world's going to stay a mess. Now, those that die are going to go to heaven, but they're going to come back and God's going to make the world new. He's going to make the world new. And Jesus is going to demonstrate this new creation by raising Lazarus from the dead. Let's move. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Why does Jesus need the stone taken away? I mean, he, he's going to come out of a tomb a bit later on and he doesn't have the stone rolled away. Just comes through, stone's rolled away. He, he, he doesn't need the stone rolled away to bring Lazarus out. Do you believe that? He could bring him straight through. So why does he ask for the stone to be rolled away? Because I think he wants us to look in. He wants us to look in and smell the foul nature of death. Because we don't want to do that. We don't want to look in. We don't want to look in at the inevitability of death. We don't want to look at our total inability to lift ourselves from its grasp. We don't want to. Dylan Thomas didn't want to. He wanted to rage against that. But Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha says, but he stinks. Wants the people to face it, to look in. Death, you have no power over it. It has all power over you. Nice living, wishful thinking, having a happy tune, voting for the right political party, whatever you feel is might change the world, will not rescue you. You are powerless in its face. But Jesus says once more bellowed with anger. That, 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 that the writers are often, uh, that if you've got, I don't know if anyone's got a Bible in front of them, they've probably got, it's got something like, Jesus was deeply troubled. You know, like his football team lost on the weekend. You know, Jesus is deeply troubled. Now, this, this, what's happening here is it's like, this is this gut-wrenching anger right deep inside of Jesus. So it's the literal, uh, Tim Keller said, the better translation is Jesus bellowed out in anger. He's like, whoa, I'm furious about this. Jesus once more bellowed out in anger uh, and came to the tomb and cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's almost as if Jesus bellows at death. How dare you get out of here? Get off him. Let him go. No matter how dead you are, when God calls, you come. If you are dead to God, when he calls, you come. That's what salvation looks like. Lazarus didn't lay in the tomb and say, you know, I think it'd be good to be a follower of Jesus. Now I'm dead in my sins. I think I'll throw off the grave clothes and try and live a good life and push out the stone and now I'll come. Now, that's, that's not how it works. When God calls you, then you come to life. Lazarus comes out. This is just, though, the prologue to the big story. If you read John's account, the moment Jesus brought Lazarus to life, his enemies decide to kill him. It would cost Jesus his life to bring life to the world. How was death going to be kicked out? Jesus was going to take death into himself and kick it out. 
Caiaphas, the high priest for the year. It's fascinating. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? He got it. He didn't get it, but he says it, doesn't he? He says, this is what's happening. One man's going to die so the whole world can be saved. Those that believe in him. So just a few short weeks after Jesus had declared, I'm the resurrection of life, Jesus is dying. His body was broken on the cross and his blood was shed. He faces death in all its horror and agony. Takes it into himself. He says he drinks it down like a cup. But as Jesus is dying, he's dying because we invited death in. But he's dying because he has come to take it out. Death is not going to have the final word here. And it's important we believe this. Jesus, it says, Jesus gave a loud cry when he's on the cross. Uh, actually, that phrasing is exactly the same as Jesus bellowed out. Jesus is on the cross. He gives out a loud cry. I think even as death is coming to take him, as it's taken everybody before and since, he gives a loud cry and says, you've got no power here. Go. Go. Get out. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, rose from the grave. Death was defeated. And actually, death's power is broken. Its days are numbered. So I don't know in a congregation this size, it may be that nobody is facing family members or sickness and looking death in the face. But you need to understand that death's days are numbered. It's running away, grabbing those who it can. Death is defeated. Paul writes in Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death will come to you. As we talked last week about the day of the wolf, death will come to you. But you will, you might, you will go through it, but you will live on the other side. A day is coming when every eye on earth will turn and see gloriously Jesus returning. And all those that have died believing in him, even though they die, they live. And it says they'll come back with him to make the world new. All those that death has stolen away will come and live and dwell on the good earth. Revelation says this as we finish. Death will be no more. The world will be made new. God will dwell with his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the reality. Whatever your life is like, that is the ultimate reality. C.S. Lewis talks about life after death for those who believe in Jesus like this. The term is over. If you're a teacher, you get this. <laughs> the holidays have begun. The dream is ended. 
This is the morning. This is the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, talking about the kids from Narnia, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now there was beginning the great story which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before Ben. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.